powered by the Tennessee Lottery with Brent Doherty and Don Davenport. HL, the final hour. It is happy hour here on 104.5 The Zone. Nick Kale uh, has not yet gone to the bourbon, but he's face full of blueberries. Amy Wells has been a soldier throughout the course of this radio program. Buck Rising of A to Z Sports here filling in for Don Davenport and Brent Doherty, who are both involved in the high school football goings on today. Very exciting stuff. Here in the mid-state, we've talked Titans, we've talked balls, we've almost said it all and done it all, but we have one more hour to go, and we invite your participation as always, 615-737-1045. Todd Furman, he's coming up in the next segment. We're going to get the best bets from him. He's going to give us the analysis from a gambler's perspective. Nick Kale is here to feed that degenerate side of things. Uh, But before we get started, guys... There has been a little bit of news. I'm told from the person who tweeted this that I'm overselling it. So perhaps I should be more judicious in my radio teases. But Isaiah Wilson, rookie right tackle for the Tennessee Titans. This is what our friend, our dear friend, Paul Kaharski, tweeted out. Nothing nefarious about it, but Isaiah Wilson crashed his vehicle and it suffered disabling damage back on October 27th at 4.21 p.m. It involved two other cars, no injuries, and Chief has tweeted out the Associated Police report. Apparently, Isaiah, who is described here as Vehicle 1, the driver of Vehicle 1, stated he was traveling east on Murphy Road in the far right-hand lane, heading towards the intersection of West End Avenue. Isaiah stated he came to a stop and then let go of the brake, causing him to roll into Vehicle 2. The vehicle's airbags deployed, Vehicle 1, which is Isaiah's, sustained disabling front-end damage, was leaking fluids. Vehicle 1 was pushed from the roadway by the driver, which means that at least he's getting some blocking in, and was towed by, add parenthetically, and was towed by a personal wrecker. Driver 1 stated he was not injured. So a second instance of Isaiah Wilson and car-related issues Maybe, uh, as Paul pointed out, nothing nefarious there, as was the initial DUI that I reported a couple of months ago at the start of the season. But at this point, is there anything to be made about a second instance popping up not that long ago or really why this is coming out right now, Nick? I mean, I'm not going to overreact to it. I mean, Paul's, I think the, the lead there is nothing nefarious. So, I'm, I mean, we're going to go with that and assume that it was just, you know, an unfortunate automobile accident. Yeah, I mean, a little bit of a history here and obviously not being on the field hurts, but uh, I, I'm not going to jump to conclusions. I mean, I don't have any information. I'm just going off of what you're reading from what Paul's reporting. So uh, I, I would kind of leave it at that. Although, you know, moving forward, you know, if it, you know, third time this happens, then it's like, okay, maybe my man shouldn't be behind the wheel or have some keys. But other than that, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it. This happened in October. It doesn't really move the needle for me at all. Like this feels, I mean, kind of old. And I think the reason that we're talking about it at all is because of the person who it involves. Like, I don't think that there's anything more to it than my man got in a car accident. Some people are just not great at driving. Some people being me. Like, yeah, 
I, I once got two speeding tickets in five days. Like, no judging on him and his poor driving abilities. I get it. I don't think that this is really news. Well, here's what I'll say about it. Because, uh, you know, a lot of times people discern, and of course, if you have thoughts on Isaiah Wilson, you're welcome to participate on social media at 3HL1045 is the Twitter handle, the number 615-737-1045. When when it comes to stuff like this, with, with Isaiah, people have almost made it feel like reporting stuff about him is coming from a personal angle. Paul is uh, Paul's an easy target for that because uh, I, I love him, but he he, ha- he gives off a little bit of a vindictive air. Now, that's not what's happening here. This is just information that's coming to light. And also, when, when I had the report about him getting the initial DUI, these are easy co- dots to connect, even if they're, as is uh, being mentioned by Paul, nothing nefarious about it. The thing, uh, the thing that I would say, the thing that I would say about this is I continue to hear stuff that makes me concerned about Isaiah Wilson and his need to, no pun intended here, but slow down. Like there's just a lot of stuff going on in this dude's life right now, compounded with this report, again from October, it's old news, but it is something that is brought to light and it for, for fairly or unfairly he's a public figure it's public record this is something that as was with the DUI this is something that's coming to light and it it just makes me a little more apprehensive with the way that he's handling things right now now you guys have said your piece about it I feel a little bit differently I think there are issues with Isaiah in terms of him just needing to it's such a it's such a lame thing to say, but just to grow up a little bit in his first year as a professional football player, I think that's a honestly, I think that's an asinine thing for me to say. Given like I've I've wrecked my car before when I was uh, when I was in college, it was a bad moment for me. Uh, similar to what happened with Isaiah, nothing befell me legally, but we have all done things in our past that are ill advised, things that pop up, things that we would not want distributed to the public Isaiah is in a bit of a different position here where everything that he does is going to be heavily scrutinized Nick I just compounded with the other stuff that goes on in this dude's life I'm made to feel a little uneasy about what else we're not finding out about well I mean two things going back to Paul and the personal thing I don't think Paul makes it personal Paul's just you know a hard-hitting old-school journalist and He's got a little bit of that Northeast grit to him. So I, mean, I, I certainly applaud it. And I like it. It resonates with me as somebody from that, that's from that area of the country. But, you know, getting, getting to, to Isaiah, it's not personal, but it's one of these things where, look, you were, you were drafted pretty high. And, yeah, you are still in the infancy of your professional career. Uh, and, look, you know, guys that are – 20 21 22 whatever age you are when you get drafted from a big time program like georgia to the nfl you know a lot of these guys i mean i you know i go back 16 years ago when i was 21 i mean i was i was immature as hell so yeah does he have to grow up yes but i think why these things become stories other than the fact that now this is the second time is we're talking about a player and all of his mishaps off the field 
And we're not talking about any production on the field. And I think that's all we really care about as fans of the Titans is we, we want to see production and we're not getting it. And obviously when it's the story of Isaiah Wilson, like if we're talking about what the content is with Isaiah Wilson, it's off the field stuff. So I do think it's fair. Uh, I'm not going to go overboard and say, oh, my God, he's a bust or he's, he's got to grow up or I mean, look, you know, he, he's a young guy and, and a lot of guys start off shaky and, and they figure it out. I'm going to give him time. I think that to Buck's point, he's a public figure. And so people want to talk about these things. I don't think it's fair to draw the line from car accident in October to why things are happening on the field and his ability to block. I think that that is not a fair line to draw those comparisons. Um, But I understand that people are interested in what is happening in his life, something like this happens. So it seems to be new. Like, I, I understand the interest in that. I don't want people to infer something that's not real, that this automatically means that this is why his playing time has been impacted or something like that. I don't think that's a fair comparison at all. Well, and in retrospect, my happy hour thing at the start of the show was not intended about anything Isaiah Wilson. So I should probably put that out there. That was not what I meant to do there. <laughs> You're on three. I figured it was five o'clock. It was five o'clock. It, it is five o'clock. It, it's now after five o'clock as, uh, as Nick Kale gets closer and close, further from the blueberries and closer to the bourbon. Um, what I, what I'll say to you, Amy, about that is like you, it's, it is to a degree unfair to draw those comparisons for a car crash in October to why he's not seeing the field until garbage time, until victory formation, on and on and on. But to to the the point that I was making earlier about, or, and really to Nick's point about why there's no production whatsoever. I understand that there's a right tackle starting in front of him, and I understand uh, that Dennis Kelly has been, if not great, he's been very very solid, and there's been really no reason to involve Isaiah Wilson. But when everybody is out, when everybody else on that roster is asked to be versatile. Uh, versatile and you see multiple guys along the offensive line playing multiple positions and you can't get anything out of a first round pick I start to wonder how much of this off the field behavior bleeds into what they're seeing in the organization and costing him opportunities because he has betrayed the trust of the team at least once how many more times do we not know about I'm not here to speculate I'm here to tell you what is being reported right now what has been previously reported And, of course, we are here to take your reaction. 615-737-1045. We'll talk more about this. We'll spend more time on the Titans and Browns. Todd Furman coming up on the other side. 3HL, 104.5 The Zone. Blaine Bishop and... It is 3HL on a Thursday, 104.5 The Zone. You know if you are a regular listener to this program every Thursday... Don Davenport, Brent Doherty, who are not here today. It's Amy Wells. It's Nick Kale. It's Buck Rising of A to Z Sports. We are the replacements today, but you know if you're a regular listener to this program that it is time to bet the board with our friend Todd Furman, kind enough to give us some time. It's good to see you there, brother. You're looking well. You're looking Uh, rested. Always a pleasure to catch up. And normally I would say you guys have big shoes to fill, but that's a full-blown lie. I'm sure you guys are exceeding all listener expectations, filling in admirably for Brent and Don this afternoon. Yeah, I, liked, I like to think so, but, you know, I, uh, I appreciate any opportunity that they give me to gas bag on an extra platform, so I won't totally take them out <laughs> in the meantime. Todd, in the break, you were just talking about some of the, some of the disruption 
that COVID has posed on people in your industry who are preparing for games. And I find that really, really interesting and something that I don't think the audience would necessarily consider in a way where you're watching the Ravens and the Steelers get pushed off from a Tuesday night to a Thursday night and you don't know who's playing, you don't know which players are going to be active, who is or is not coming off the COVID list. If you could kind of explain to the audience what you were telling us about in the break, I think that's really, really a fascinating angle. No doubt about it. I think when you look at the sports betting industry as a whole, none of us are going to cry foul. As long as we have games, that's ultimately the lifeblood for everything we do. But when you have disruptions in the schedule and you are a creature of habit that typically you prepare a lot of your analysis for both the NFL and college football Sunday and Monday, try and identify those games and matchups that you think create the best investment opportunities. It does get a little bit frustrating and infuriating when you get your money in pretty good in the form of say a coastal Carolina minus six against Liberty. You watch that number balloon out to 11 and you think you're sitting in the catbird seat ultimately before that game gets canceled. Uh, and you mentioned that Raven Steelers game. And for those folks new to wagering throughout the state of Tennessee, uh, they got indoctrinated pretty quickly in terms of what house rules mean that if you bet the game on Thursday, it became a refund. You had to bet it again on Tuesday. Most books refunded it. And ultimately you had to probably bet it a third time to have action. Uh, I mean, I was in the camp that took a little bit of under money on Monday, decided, Hey, look, I think the Ravens are going to upgrade their running backs. I don't want to get back involved. But if you'd have told me that RG three threw for about 35 yards, I probably would have bet that game 99 times out of a hundred. Uh, but hindsight's always 2020 in sports betting. We all had the time machine from, uh, you know, uh, back to the future too. We would all be sitting with frosty drinks in our hands somewhere in the Caribbean right about now. Todd, we, we will certainly, um, you know, we'll get to the Titans and the Vols, but I'm curious because I'm looking at some of these SEC spreads and, you know, it's amazing. You look at Alabama LSU and Bama is on an unbelievable 12 year run LSU coming off of one of the most remarkable years we've ever seen. And this game always feels like it's competitive. I mean, the last couple of years, it's, it's been a little more lopsided, but my God, 29 and a half points. And I'm seeing 90 some percent of the public at certain books backing Alabama in this spot is it, is it a layup for Bama or is there some value to the Tigers I mean this is the definition of a game where it's lay it or don't play it uh, I don't think you're going to get a lot of recreational betters that are going hey we were really impressed by LSU's performance against Texas A&M this past weekend where they had a sneak in the back door to cover as two touchdown underdogs and gravitate towards taking the 29 and a half especially with Terrace Marshall opting out, TJ Finley looking ill-equipped to lead this offense and having major concerns about LSU's ability to slow down either the run or the pass. Alabama over the last four games, I mean, 29 points or more, they've won all of those contests. They're covering numbers with relative ease in the grand scheme of things. And despite public sentiment gravitating towards Alabama, I'm not going to sit here and try and make a case for LSU. Not a game I'm running to bet, although I wouldn't be shocked at all if Steve Sarkeesian and Nick Saban decide, hey, look, we have a big stage on CBS. We're going to allow Mac Jones to chuck it around the yard and six touchdown passes later. We're talking about him being neck and neck with Kyle Trask in the quest to win the Heisman trophy. I look, uh, I look further down on the sec schedule this weekend, Todd. And I just, there I've struggled really with college football this year in general, just because of the way that I don't know who's going to play on a regular basis. I cannot for the life of me, get myself invested when in the same way that we've talked about the disruption earlier that I just can't get myself to to lock in on a game but one that I'm really really curious about this weekend is Vanderbilt and Georgia 
with everything that's gone down at Vandy over the last week and a half, with Derek Mason getting fired, with uh, Sarah, uh, Sarah Fuller, who is going to be the place kicker again, and everything that has been drummed up around her, it seems like a terrible spot for Vanderbilt to be in heading into this particular game. But I'm wondering what you think about the number that Vegas currently has it at. It's kind of rinse and repeat to a lot of these same analysis that you use in breaking down the Alabama LSU game. Now, Alabama, a little bit more prolific in terms of its vertical passing game and its quick strike capabilities. But Georgia over the last couple of weeks has shown the ability to win games in two very different fashions. They weren't able to run the ball against Mississippi State, never got close to covering that number, but showed that they had a viable passing attack led by JT Daniels. They follow it last week as around a three touchdown favorite against South Carolina. They get back to basics, run the football, and allow JT to more or less operate as a game manager. Uh, I actually thought Vanderbilt was a live underdog last weekend for their trip to Columbia. Then they hang the giant goose egg on the board against Missouri. Uh, again, I think it's a little bit of uh, fool's gold if you're going to try and take those gaudy points with Vanderbilt. If Georgia wants to win this game by 40, they can. The real question is, does Kirby Smart call off the dogs, pun intended, you know, somewhere in the middle of the third quarter if they're up 28 nothing, leaving that back door open for Vanderbilt to get you to the window? I'm honestly upset with you for making a dad joke that only Brent Doherty would enjoy, but your, <laughs> your, 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 your analysis is so spectacular that I'm willing to ignore it. Todd Furman of the bet the board prod uh, podcast, Fox bet live and CBS sports HQ here with us on three HL. Now we've got to talk about Florida and Tennessee this weekend. It's a big game. What are your thoughts? It's one of those games where I think people uh, have grown so sick and tired of me picking on the Vols all season yeah. during our weekly segment and the Tennessee Titans. I actually think the Vols are a bit of a live underdog in this spot. This number has started to spiral out of control. We're in that 17 and a half range. Uh, I know Tennessee pretty much had to suspend one of its defensive stars for, a, we'll call them off-field transgressions leading up to this game. But I think when you look at this Gators team, I have some major reservations about their ability to slow down Eric Gray consistently. If Florida has one weakness, it's defending the run. And if Tennessee's able to find some success on the ground early, shorten the game, limit possessions a bit, I think they can stay in this contest. Now, I know Florida has dominated Tennessee each of the last two seasons. I believe it's 81 to 24, the combined scoreline in those two contests. A little bit of an unusual scheduling quirk in 2020, like everything is not seeing this game in September. But the balls after their 2-0 start, they've taken on water quickly. And I think the fastest way to kind of keep the boo birds at bay is for Jeremy Pruitt to get an inspired effort from this team that's rested. They were better than that 30-17 to scoreline indicated against Auburn. And I think if they're at least balanced offensively, uh, Tennessee will have an excellent chance to cover, maybe lose this game by a shade less than two touchdowns. Todd Furman, Fox Bet Live, joining us here on 3HL here on 104.5 The Zone. So, Todd, I'm looking at this, this Titans-Browns game on Sunday. And I, I don't love five or five and a half so much, but I, I've been intrigued by the total all week long. And I know the Titans are capable of going off and maybe maybe going under is a bad bet. But I look at it and I know Cleveland can run the ball. I know the Titans can run the ball. That means the clock is churning, you know, less possessions per game. Do you, do, you, do you feel any value at all in under 54 or 53 and a half, depending on where you shop? Well, I think it definitely makes sense, Nick, when you break this game down and it's been interesting because there is indeed a battle going on in the market. This total opened at 52 at FanDuel, ballooned out to 54 before there was a little bit of resistance. And when you talk about the way that both of these teams want to play, it is a ground and pound mentality. 
But the one thing that changes things a little bit is that you don't have a whole lot of confidence in either one of these defenses. And both of these teams, because they have been so good running the ball, are extremely efficient in the red zone. I mean, Tennessee, when they get inside the 20, they've been one of the league's best teams in terms of putting sevens on the board. And that's probably a good thing, given the erratic nature that we've seen from their special teams. And now with the emergence of Corey Davis as a bona fide number two receiver opposite A.J. Brown, it gives them options and play action. And with Adam Humphreys being a full participant in practice on Wednesday, optimism that he can control the middle of the field, even though John U. Smith hasn't been close to 100% as another weapon you'd like. Meanwhile, on the other side, if we hit the rewind button and look at how poorly Tennessee defended the Vikings early in the season, they're going to see a lot of those same principles from Kevin Stefanski, who comes from that Gary Kubiak tree. Nick Chubb, 100 yards in three straight games since coming off of IR. And when you look at Baker Mayfield, he was pretty critical of his own performance against Jacksonville. No, he missed some easy throws to Jarvis Landry and Hollywood Higgins. I think both of these teams are going to have some success, but you're right. When possessions could be at a premium with long uh, drives that both of these teams are going to put forth, you have to convert sevens. You put together a five, six minute drive of covering 80 yards and are settling for field goals. There's no way this game will go over the total. Yeah, but Todd, Dolly Parton's just been announced as the 12th Titan for Sunday's game. How much does that swing the line? Well, if Dolly can provide a pass rush, she'll be a welcome addition to the Tennessee Titans defensive line because we know Baker will be sitting in that pocket, most likely clean as a daisy, uh, given the fact that that's one of the areas where the Titans just haven't been able to put pressure on their opponent. And I think that's a big concern. If the Browns are able to run the ball and go downhill, play action will keep that defensive line and the linebacking core at bay. Thankfully for the Titans, though, they've gotten better secondary play than I think a lot of us have anticipated. But you guys would know better than I would. Are we ever going to see a Dory Jackson out there, or is this going to be a knee injury that lingers well into 2023 and beyond? Oh, Todd, I have just finished writing an article about this because Mike Brabel all but told us to F off on a Dory Jackson today. <laughs> he has been active. He has been on the active roster since November 11th. He has not yet practiced. Not even, not even, not even played in a game since November 11th. He had practiced since no, November it, 11th. It's tougher on here, the Buck. I have to be careful what I say. I mean, knowing that my girlfriend is a proud USC alum, when I take shots at anything related to Trojan football, it doesn't normally end well, and I tend to like avoid sleeping on the couch most nights. <laughs> it's fair enough. I'm sure the dog would be happy to keep you company. This man <laughs> is an artist. He turned my Dolly Parton pun into into actual analysis about pass rush. I continue to be impressed with Todd Furman of the Bet the Board broadcast. Todd, you can take shots at USC. I'll take shots at Vanderbilt. I'm going to ask you about who the next head coach will be. What are some of the odds on some of the candidates? I don't think it really matters because, well, Vandy's Vandy, and they're going to be Vandy. But uh, who's the next guy to get an opportunity to possibly, I don't know, win seven games in a season? Uh, it's real interesting because, unfortunately, a lot of those odds only available in some of the unregulated jurisdictions out there. But the two names that I've heard closely attached to this vacancy would be the defensive coordinator from Notre Dame and Clark Lee who, to be quite honest, guys, in 2020, when it's all about offense and your ability to score, I'm real reluctant to bring in a defensive-minded head coach unless it's a package deal with an elite offensive mind. And the other name that I've grown quite fond of, given what he's been able to do with an afterthought program in the Sun Belt, would be Jamie Chadwell. Uh, I've been surprised that South Carolina didn't make a more aggressive play to ultimately make him their guy, knowing that he's been able to recruit a little bit and bring the Chanticleers program up to speed. Uh, but that would be a head coach, I think, that would embrace the challenge of building Vanderbilt up. We know when you're playing in the SEC East, it's never going to be easy to compete with the Georgias and Floridas. But in reality, if you're able to recruit well, 
coach up three-star talent. I think asking Vanderbilt to go seven and five consistently winning non-conference games and being in the middle pack, middle of the pack in the SEC East should not be an unreasonable request. Don't lie to me, Todd. How much did you just want to say Chanticleers on the radio? Uh, you know what? I wanted to try and get it out. And the funny part about it is I think I butchered their nickname a number of times. Fans in the Sun Belt knock me all the time because I can't pronounce it. What? It's Appalachian State. I call it Appalachian State. They get all beat up. They should just be thrilled we're talking about those two college football programs right now because in reality, most years, we wouldn't be paying a whole lot of attention to the Sun Belt. A hat tip to Mickey Ryan. I haven't made enough Arkansas State football jokes this season without him on the show. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to lie. I had to think about it before saying Chanticleers into the microphone <laughs> instead of something that might get me fired. He is Todd Furman of the <laughs> Bet the Board prod, uh, podcast. You can watch him on Fox Bet Live, CBS Sports HQ. He makes regular appearances. We appreciate you hanging out, brother, as always. Thanks for uh, catching up and hopefully making the people some money this weekend. Fingers crossed we can do that. Enjoy the games this weekend, guys. We will indeed. Let's talk about some of these games this weekend before we get ready to wrap things up here on 3HL. We talked a lot in the second hour about the Vols and Tennessee. I don't know how much more is left to give on that, but in terms of implications for Sunday between the Titans and the Browns, the Dolly Parton thing is really cool, by the way. It's about time they brought out the big gun. Like, let's go. I am fired the hell up to have Queen Dolly, uh, you know, virtually, of course, shove the sword into the ground. I love it. I'm so here for it. I think that's the greatest get this season is old Dolly Parton being a part of the Tennessee Titans game day experience. And I love how many dudes around here love Dolly Parton. It brings me so much joy that there are so many men in Tennessee specifically who appreciate the greatness that is Dolly Parton. You don't get that in other parts of the country. That's Tennessee-specific, and I love it. I was only half listening. I hit the dump button. You said, I'm so glad they brought out the big – did you say guns for Dolly? <laughs> I thought well, I listen, uh, I did say guns. Uh, I <laughs> what did you think? He, he's trying to make a Dolly Parton joke uh, because she is, uh, she's a little bit enhanced in some particular areas, maybe all of them. Uh, we don't know, but it, listen – at 84, shout out to Dolly Parton, because I watched that Christmas tree lighting special that preempted uh, or that uh, could not, uh, that Ravens and Steelers could not supersede. And she was out there in some stilettos at her age. I don't care what age you are. She was belting it out. She looked incredibly comfortable. Dolly Parton is a rock star. Now, it does bring up a, an important question, because we talk about nicknames here with the Tennessee Titans and, and Chanticleers r reminding me of various nicknames. You have King Henry, uh, you have Big Jeff, but one that does not seem to have taken in a way that I thought it might for A.J. Brown is Dollywood Brown. You have Hollywood Brown in Baltimore, Dollywood Brown for A.J. Brown here in Tennessee. Amy Wells is making a face like she smells something bad. You dispute this nickname. Well yeah, I can tell you why it didn't catch on. That's trash. Like, it's oh. not a good nickname. Ah, like, ah. I, no, and I love Dolly. I love Dollywood. I, I get what you're doing, but no. Nobody is going to use that in a football sense. You've got to know your audience a little bit. Like, King Henry is a definitive nickname. Big Jeff is a definitive, like, dominant nickname. Dollywood Brown no, that's a terrible nickname. Did you make that up? 
I did not. I stole that. I stole that off somebody from the internet. And it's not just because you called called the nickname that I brought to the table trash. Yeah, person from the internet, I appreciate the thought. No, absolutely. Under no circumstances. If this guy's going to keep balling out the way he is, and we already go by two initials, right? Like, it's already AJ. So do you need a nickname Mm -hmm. when you've already shortened it to just two letters? Well, Lawan and Compton of Bussin' with the Boys fame, perhaps Tennessee Titans as well, they call him Arthur Juan Kenobi because he's got the little Obi-Wan Kenobi rat tail on the back of his head. I don't necessarily feel much better about that than I do Dollywood Brown. I just like saying Arthur Juan Brown. It makes me very happy, especially when he's, you know, shirking four Ravens en route to a 17-yard touchdown that was one of the most improbable. I've ever seen. I really, I really thought Dollywood Brown had legs. I really yeah. did. No, it no. Is it, well, it's just not, it sounds like, especially when there's already a Hollywood Brown in mm-hmm. the same space, it sounds like a knockoff. It feels And you don't want too. the knockoff. Yeah. You don't want that. Especially when he's as dominant as he is, like give him a, like a manly nickname, give him something intense and vicious. I want to <laughs> bite to a nickname. <laughs> Dollywood Brown is not intense. Oh, it makes you want to go right to Gatlinburg and take a roller coaster ride. We will uh, end this roller coaster ride of a radio show. It has been two hours and 45 minutes thus far of much fun, and we appreciate you guys hanging out here with us. If you want to get in, your uh, last opportunity is now 615 737 1045. If you have thoughts on Titans, Browns, Tennessee, and Florida, terrible nicknames posed by me here on these very airwaves we welcome your participation it's 3hl nick kale amy wells buck rising of a to z sports filling in here on 104.5 the zoo final segment here on a thursday 3hl 104.5 the zone the replacements our duty is almost done Nick Kale, Amy Wells from TennesseeTitans.com and Titans Radio Buck Rising of A to Z Sports here hanging out with you. We really appreciate you guys letting us be a part of your afternoon. It's been a fun one. If you missed any of this show, you can go back and you can find the interviews, the full hours in their entirety, wherever it is that you get your podcast. Just look up 3HL. How do you how do we feel? Should we should we self-assess? Should, we, uh, should well, we watch the tape and look to improve, Kale? I mean, I think the reality is fun is a subjective term. I mean, if you huh. want to call it fun, I call it agonizing. But, you know, to each his own. I, I just feel like if you're going to call us the replacements, Amy, do we have to give Buck the lead, the, like, the lead label of Shane Falco? Like, is he, is he footsteps Falco here in this replacements movie? I mean, I guess so. If, I mean, if we're going to be true to form, I suppose, yeah. Good job, Buck. That- <laughs> I was about to say, what, what's Kale? This the cigarette, the heater, uh, the heater yeah. smoking. I'm uh, Nigel kicker? the kicker. I'm Nigel the kicker that's got a gambling debt, and I'm going to get my neck broke by the guys in the stands. That's that's very accurate. There you go. Just there out here go. huffing darts during the commercial breaks. Anyway, uh, we we have uh, we have spent a lot of time on these games, uh, these games that are upcoming between the Titans and the Vols this weekend, and I'm curious. You know, I hate I hate the idea of game predictions, but I do want to get final thoughts from my reputable co-hosts here. Amy, 
your feeling you've we've had a lot of analysis over the course of this game uh, or excuse me of this radio show as I watched Derek Henry Lewis Riddick doing a really good breakdown of him right now on SportsCenter on television there's a lot of hype around this game what would it mean for the Tennessee Titans to get one over on an eight and three Browns team I think it would prove their legitimacy I think that it would prove that this Titans team is able to play good teams and come out with a victory um I think there wouldn't be a lot of asterisks on this victory I think it would be a hard fought just win you know and I think that of course it's an AFC win which is something that you always want to get especially in December and it helps continue the momentum that this team is hoping to generate going into the playoffs I think that all of those would be good things for the Tennessee Titans and uh I am cautiously optimistic that this is going to be a fun one on Sunday, and I'm looking forward to it. Chad Johnson has tweeted, Kale, I can't wait to heckle A.J. Brown and Corey Davis for their autographs from the stands on Sunday. Who is the athlete that you have heckled for an autograph? I have never actually, honestly, like, I'm not an autograph guy. Unless I can actually get the autograph to turn it for a profit and make some money, I've never understood the infatuation with a famous person writing their name on paper and then we're going to put it on a wall in our house. I, I, it, it doesn't do anything for me. I think, you know, I, I have considered it because I have a, for whatever reason, I have a Houston Oilers picture of our dear friend and former co-worker, Derek Mason, uh, Titans legend, that I wanted him to get to, I wanted him to sign it as a spoof. I'm not sure how I would use it to embarrass him at a later date. But now that I have kind of a man cave in my office here in downtown Nashville, I have contemplated the idea of a uh, of an autograph from D Mace, but I just I don't think necessarily that I could pull the trigger on it. I think though the greatest autograph I've seen given out is uh, my good friend uh, Rest in Peace, Matt Neely got his chest signed by Coach Dave McGinnis That's at awesome. a sports fest event, which was the highlight of uh of my experience there but i would say to you uh that's about the only autograph seeking that i would accept I, i'm not anti-memorabilia like if you've got a man cave or a studio set up in your house and you've got the big screens and the couch and you've got you know a, like a, a peyton manning jersey or an eddie george uh wall plaque with like a bunch of pictures like i'm all for that i just don't i've never been infatuated with somebody's john hancock so yeah. like an Arnold Schwarzenegger sign napkin does nothing for you. Like no. that doesn't seem, I no. get that. No, I like understand Like, like if I got an Arnold Schwarzenegger, like Terminator poster framed, like the kind of thing they put up in a movie theater, you know, I think mm -hmm. that's kind of cool. But the actual autograph, I mean, unless I'm going to flip that for some money, because I'm kind of a scumbag like that, I'll, I'll, I'll sell something for money. I mean, yeah, other than that, I'm good. I'm <laughs> in that, I'm in that same camp. I would rather have either like a piece of memorabilia or like the experience. Like I'd rather say, Hey, I sat next to Carrie Underwood at dinner once, or Hey, I ran into so-and-so on the street. Like saying that you had that interaction or like so-and-so is a friend of a friend, that's cool. But like having their name written down is really not impressive to me. I can say uh, that maybe those experiences are fun for other people, but nobody else has had the privilege of hosting a radio show with Amy Wells and Nick Kale, as I have just had the midday 180. The 180 at 6 
It's coming up next, but we appreciate you guys hanging out with us. Brent and Dawn back tomorrow, 3HL. The programming on 104.5 The Zone rolls on right after this. This is Tiki Barber with a CBS Sports Minute. Russell Westbrook wanted out of Houston after only one year with the Rockets. As much as he liked James Harden on court, they were oil and water. John Wall wanted out of Washington after a decade, mainly because it became clear that the future was his Wizards backcourt mate Bradley Beal, who's only 27 to Wall's 30 and coming off a lengthy Achilles injury in rehab. So they swapped stars because given their respective Albatross contracts, it was the only deal that made sense. NBA trades are usually about making one of the teams better, hoping that positional fit or simply a change of scenery is uplifting. It's really hard to see that happening here. The Rockets are basically the same in a Western Conference that is getting better around them. And the Wizards didn't address their front court need. This was a trade for trade's sake. Nothing more, nothing less. I'm Tiki Barber. Welcome to AutoZone where we've got more ways to get what you need fast and take care of that fall tune-up. With our free same-day store pickup, you can...